You're listening to the Roost Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Roost. Hey, everyone. Uh, Squawk talk, whatever you want to call it, whatever. And so we have a special guest with us today. I've been promising a special guest for a little while, and and he's as special as they come. We have with us today Uncle Yo. I can't help but feel like that, like 20 years ago, that would have been such an underhanded, left-handed compliment that they don't get any more special than him. He's still wearing a bib and mittens <laughs> oh, on and... progress of on request of his mother. <laughs> no, I'm very happy. Thank you for making me a little more space in the in the nest and the roost. I was wondering what all the molted feathers and uh, discarded owl pellets were, but they form a very lovely beanbag chair. I have to say, you yes, know, they we do. do like this. Yeah, we do like to stay comfy here. Uh, that's why I am not wearing pants. So, you know, just gotta stay comfy. <laughs> well, good it's... news is you'll always have a spot in our roost. I'm grateful to hear that. I, I like overlooking the whole continent of Podcastia from up here. <laughs> that is true. So, for those of you who aren't aware, uh, Uncle Yo, you are obviously a comedian. You tour around multiple conventions that we run into each other multiple times at. Um, why don't you give a little bit about yourself to people who are unfamiliar with the convention scene, so on and so forth? Oh, absolutely. We've seen this business really uh, expand practically exp- uh, exponentially over the last decade, and a lot of that has come from um, uh, internet culture and pop culture uh, just becoming American culture as right. it is. So just New York Comic Con and San Diego Comic Con have really uh, set an example of many other conventions. Some of them are specifically anime-based. And there's a point at any we- any given weekend in the year, you'll have in the continental United States, just between colleges and major cities and major events within the industry or even fan run, you'll have anywhere from two to as many as five anime conventions in a weekend, as well as simple tabletop gaming or science fiction or horror conventions. And about <laughs> 10 years ago, this coming fall, when I first discovered that there was a circuit rather than simply a convention that happened once a year, they happen all over the place, everywhere across the world, with every major city within the continental U.S. And, you know, even parts of, of Puerto Rico, Alaska has an anime convention. Right. Even Hawaii has an anime convention, which oh, has... Hawaii long- Yeah, it has the longest wait list for guest requests, <laughs> I think, in the, in the history of the business, as everybody would love a free trip out to Hawaii. When well, I first... Yeah. yeah. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. When I first entered the circuit, it was just a question of how do I get into a convention and not pay for it. And uh, aside from volunteering, there is submitting panel work and doing live programming of fan-run events, presenting something from a different perspective or really fan-outing about it. Because there is uh, there's a loss of one-on-one, there's a loss of FaceTime, even though there is an app for FaceTime, so you know. Oh, I'm yes. talking about one-on-one FaceTime to fan gush about things that you love with someone that loves it as well. It's a chance to come together in the flesh and get that much necessary practice off the phone interaction people skills. And you know what? Funny enough, I think in this age of, uh, I want to say, I don't want to say pop culture, but I want to say maybe the internet culture. Right. Mm-hmm. So like where you can sit behind a screen, you can post on a message board, uh, you can like meet new people that you've never even seen face to face before. And you'd probably never meet in your lifetime. 
cons offer that ability for you to show up and kind of do the same thing in person. Right. A local convention uh, very much be- becomes a place where you're going to meet some of the most dearest kept friendships of your life, as well as the larger shows. So if you just end up going to Otakon or Anime Next once a year here on uh, the northeast of uh, North America, you can run into people from all across the country, maybe all across the world. From there, you have a chance, you have a friend to visit for their local convention. Right. I end up running into a lot of similar people, like if I do back-to-back um, uh, upstate New York conventions or New Jersey conventions for the fall. Uh, uh, next, This coming weekend, I'm in Genericon in Troy, New York, and then the weekend after, I'm emceeing the entirety of the Sailor Millennium, almost said millennial, Silver Millennium Crystal Sailor Moon Formal Ball. So I do expect to see a lot of layover and uh, people back and forth. In fact, I know that one of the couples showing up to the uh, Silver Millennium Sailor Moon Formal Crystal Ball was a couple that I married down in Pennsylvania uh, last year. Oh, wow. Because I am an officiant. Oh, yes. That's, ac- that's actually pretty great. Um, so <laughs> when you did fill out your officiant, right, or like, you know, when you did get certified and everything, what did you put down yeah. as your religion? With the Universal Life Church, it's the simple practice of do the best that you can and try to live a good life and set a good example. Sounds and that right. was the Yeah, that was all that I wanted to do, and that's really what you need for the state of New York. Other states, I have learned through experience, learn learn from my example, require a bit more steps and a bit more paperwork. For example, Massachusetts and Virginia, you need a a notary you need a notarized sheet that says you gather at one location at least once a week to discuss religious terms. And I discovered through a loophole, if you simply met once a week on a Google Hangout and ran a Dungeons and Dragons campaign with all divine spellcasting characters. That would count as talking about religion every week. I could be certified by running the Goblin Inquisition on YouTube. Sounds about right. Oh God, that actually sounds amazing. Um, no one expects the so Goblin Inquisition. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so this was an avenue that we had explored in the past because Chelsea had wanted to become officiated to. Uh, Technically, I am according to online. Where did you even go to get it done? I looked up the the ordaining thing, and I did it on February 29th. So I guess you are ordained to a certain extent, Chels? I guess I can for online marriages. <sighs> oh my! Lord. Now, step by step, city per city, you do have to go to the courthouse uh, of the city that you are going to just to learn the paperwork they want you to fill out or to make sure that your signature on the wedding license uh, is a val is a valid one, right? Uh, so, it, it it does change state per state, but for the most part, if it's primarily known or would have maybe four eight years ago known as a blue state, they're pretty much okay with it, right? Um, funny enough, actually, uh, we did spend before we talk about marriage even more. I want to jump more onto this con schedule because I heard from a little birdie uncle yo that this is your last year in the circuit. You know that that is correct. I've made the I I made the announcement on my YouTube channel as a as an end thought to uh, the last wrap up episode for the horror podcast that I was running. I'm gonna be releasing videos throughout the year on the Facebook page and on the YouTube page, just to officially sign off and send off. Um, it's been it's been a decade. I've loved every moment that I've had. All new cities and new people, new opportunities that I've had that would have never existed had I not decided to stand on stage and scream about cartoons that I love for an hour or so a weekend. 
And it comes to a point where you you're either business savvy enough to make a break, which means you're either able to pay for yourself or you're able to mate make and meet expenses. Right. And at some point you have to realize you're either going to or you're not going to. Mm -hmm. There's that ends up being the big sum of it. I know I could get away especially with my generation, just doing Dragon Ball Z and Pokemon jokes for the rest of my life. But that's really not what the show or the stand-up performances have become, right. have, have evolved. And before they become all just Mike Birbiglia-esque uh, political statements or or cry fests about unresolved issues within my family that I would hope would be universal with the audience, I'd rather go out on, on just having a good time and be uh, at least be known for being, if not funny, then persistent. I do have to say, though, like, with our age group being, you know, like, you still have those old Dragon Ball Z and Pokemon jokes, you could eventually go play country clubs. <laughs> Given that, I mean, if our generation even had the capacity for retirement, that's what I fear it's going to be, is they're just all down the hall and everyone is busy juggling through either their Sega Genesis uh, PS1 nostalgia or, they're, or they've just all set up for tabletop RPGs. Like, I, I have at least... Three friends I know who are looking forward to retirement just so they can finally play through a Pathfinder AP. No, no, we can only visit Pop-Up on Wednesdays because weekends weekends is 5th edition day and Monday and Tuesday is 2nd edition day. Don't ever call Pop-Up on a Tuesday. That's the Goblin Inquisition. Oh my gosh. And unless you want to... Unless you want to hear Pop-Up talk about the Goblin Inquisition for an hour, you just show up and grandparents are, ah, I just want to go back to home. I don't like anybody. He starts, he starts dragging grand, grandkids off into, off into the basement, forcing them to roll up character sheets. We're going to do what Christmas was meant for. You're going to fight the Krampus. Roll them dice. Grandpa, we've talked about the pagan religion. That's great. And then, then, like, little Timmy's like, Grandpa, I don't want to play a cleric. I played cleric last time. <laughs> you're going to roll wisdom and you're going to love it. <laughs> now you listen to me. The party needs that. This is a sacrifice we all did. Get those damn orcs off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, like, little, like, Sally's crying in the corner because her two older brothers both chose fighters and she has to go with controller. You know how it goes. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just picturing wanna... yo in my spell like, list is an old man in a rocking chair, waving a sword above his head, saying, "Yorks, get off my lawn!" Oh my gosh! <laughs> to the dragon, to victory! <laughs> oh my lord! Get out of my dungeon, you damn halflings! And then you know, like <laughs> you're taking all the good jobs from the hardworking gnomes. And then, then you know, like how everybody has that grandfather that's like, oh, you know, like they say something derogatory between one race or another, and like they call. You almost can't do that in D and D because every group has at least four different races yeah. working among each other, and everyone can just be a halfy or a half breed. It makes zero sense. Oh yeah. To in a, in a D &D well, so, so you're gonna have that grandfather that's like yelling words that you don't recognize you know like your old like my grand or, well like my dad because my dad's freaking 70 now but my dad used to like call people by weird slangs that i never understood before you know i'm gonna be that old guy yelling that in the a old age home and they're gonna be like what's oh, he yelling oh he's just yelling something in elvish again you gotta talk to those loth lovers, those spider humpers. Daddy, they prefer to be called drow. Yeah, I prefer they be called dark elves back in my day. Get them back underground where they belong. <laughs> the only good elf is a dead elf. 
Oh my god. Damn feared. Out of our two listeners that are listening right now, I just alienated half the population. The elf side. Because I'll tell you, I'll tell you at one point, yeah, yeah, you know, we got on that dwarf ship, we got into the dream realm, we spent three weeks running through this hedge maze just to kill off a green dragon, and I would do it again if I didn't have to spend three weeks alongside a damn human to do it. Yeah. Oh my god. I would love to do that where where humans are a minority. Well, I mean, you could totally because do that. Because my party right now, my party right now, we've got a dragonborn, mm-hmm. we've got a uh, a human human Asimar, so a positive plane touch, angelic descent. We've got right. a wood elf rogue, and my wife is playing a bugbear cleric, who is both a cannibal and a war priest. And I'll tell you this: Gargar Binks is having a blast because no one can afford to be racist toward it because. They will eat anything. Yeah. Uh, even, well, I mean, like you say one or two weird things to it, and then all of a sudden your face is devoured. Or, you know, dinner's fee, planned. Fee, fee! Cats oh, a burger. The, cat, the cat's uh, going crazy in the background. I apologize about that. I've got them both going, too. I mean, it's it's around their dinner time, so Morty is going back and forth into... Uh, in into the the recording studio, and I can also hear murder face from across the hall. Because uh, he, he stays in the bedroom most of the day. But around this time, your cat knows when it's food time. Oh, yeah. You can only, you can only, you can only condition them to learn how to read clocks. <laughs> Murderface had this habit of looking, oh, 6.58. They probably want to wait for the alarm to go off at 7. Nope, nope this begins time. right now. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, the yowling begins. This is the hungriest and worst it's ever been, you guys. You don't understand. I'm minutes away from wasting away. Yeah, and then you're like, but you have food in your bowl. I need more. That's this why is we have like a three-pound gravity feed for this thing. Oh, my gosh. And she still steals my damn burger. So, <laughs> back onto the, onto the discussion of tabletops, right? So, oh, yeah. have you ever... This is a rare experience for me because for I think I've been going to cons for maybe three or four years, right? Mm-hmm. I have never had a good tabletop experience at a convention. I apologize for that. Like I've had the uh, I've had the midnight one shots before. I don't know if you're familiar mm-hmm. with those where you play until six in the morning. Oh yeah, no. There was one con where they had staff set up in the uh, because they couldn't lock the door, so. Even though the building was 24 hours, the uh, art show, the vendors hall, was not. Right. So in the in the 11 hours that the vendors were not in the artist alley, we had six of us just watching the two doors that could open to make sure no one was getting in. So we we just played. Yeah. We we would meet up uh, once a year for. We did this for about three years. I mean, that sounds about like the perfect thing to do. Now that I think about it, you know, just like to kill time. I know. Yeah. Ye- Sorry. Go ahead. If you know you're stuck in a, if you know you're stuck in a place, bring a one if not two page RPG, mm-hmm. and uh, that's some of the stuff I'm going to be doing at Genericon this weekend. I am fascinated by how terse complete rules can be dropped into one if not two pages, and I I still carry those around because you can have a character in about five minutes, you can run through a scenario really as long as you need it to do. It's just up to the DM about how soon people have to leave. Oh yeah, I mean. Funny enough, when I was at, uh, I guess this doesn't really count as a convention, but the college that I, w- I went to used to have LAN parties, too, right? It was, like, the biggest event at the school. 
Oh, we used to st- mm-hmm. yeah, Fragfest, Chels. Uh, we used to do, uh, we used to do midnight campaigns there too, except for the fact that people would get tired of doing like three point five, you know, three point five, three point five, three point five. So eventually, mm-hmm. one year we switched it to Kobolds Eat My Baby. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's really strange at like three in the morning when everybody's characters died about three times. Yeah, it's so much fun because it is so strange and silly. Well, yeah, you get to... I mean, I hate to say it, but there's a lot of crowds and role players that like to play the chaotic stupid alignment. Mm-hmm. This is a system that embraces your inner chaotic stupid. A couple of things that you ha- that you have to keep in mind, and I, th- I think this just led to the meta nature of our nerd culture, yeah, is it. when it's... Yeah, when it's so in your face, like we are two generations out of people who were raised by Star Trek and Star Wars. They've watched the episodes. They've seen all the tropes. What happened with uh, Dungeons and Dragons, eventually it boils down. People are laughing at each other. The rogue accuses the cleric of being far, or the paladin of being far more evil than he is. But the cleric, but the paladin goes, yeah, but I'm good because it's written on, it's written on my sheet. Right. There are, there are tropes and adventures that eventually fall into the high ground eventually a dm just gets tired whatever his name is and he just names an actor that everyone is familiar with Mm -hmm. and then it it goes and spirals down give that a generation out and the people writing games now are writing and this is one of my favorite parts about smaller written rpgs they cater themselves to tell a very specific kind of comedic or parody driven story right so you'll see this meta and self-aware culture in games coming out now Overwatch, League of Legends does it as they're basically trying to quote and recreate Monty Python skits, which were by themselves absurdist. And you came oh, in yeah. with a certain level of context before you flipped on his head. Kobolds Ate My Baby was for me the first time games got topsy turvy, turned them upside down on their head, and said, Let's go out and have a blast with yeah, this. Let's... let's just make fun of this. And now you have podcasts like Welcome to the Magic Tavern that are playing off of those known and beloved tropes. Mm-hmm. And uh, funny enough, like, as we see these tropes develop, I'm kind of not saying that I'm scared to see where it will go, but I'm kind of interested to see where the future of these tropes will lie. <laughs> it eventually it eventually will come back to uh, taking it seriously again, but it begins with younger and younger kids. And the the joy of this system now is... So I, I, I have friends that run a gaming store up in Connecticut. Right. And Dan will close early on Fridays to go to his mother's school where she teaches. And he will spend two, uh, two if not three hours walking them through a longer, uh, through a longer campaign. And these are 10 to 12-year-old kids who have learned that their imaginations are validated, who have learned that there is a system that rewards them and that if they work together – they can solve almost any problem. Yep. If they're comfortable and safe enough to be in a place where they can imagine, anything can happen. And that is what Dan seeks to cultivate and create. These are kids who will game and make excuses to game the rest of their lives. I did theater and improv when I realized I should have just been playing RPGs throughout college and throughout X, Y, and Z. We had a 24-hour LARP on the college campus that I went to. Right. And it wasn't until senior year when we gave up the LARP that I thought I'm itching to do a campaign to tell us to walk people through a story that I don't know the ending yet. 
Yeah. So well, let's that, have at it. Being, uh, I guess we could think about it as more like a storytelling situation too, right? You know, people being able to craft their own tales and also kind of feel like they belong, right? If we think about, mm-hmm. if we think about what RPGs actually do for people, on top of allowing people to be what they can't be, right? And like almost like this juxtaposition of themselves, like I don't know, let's say like you know, Karen wants to be a badass female hunter, like or like ranger, right? She can mm-hmm. do that, but at the same time, she maybe maybe like in the past has been made fun of for being like a tomboy mm-hmm. but like this story is specifically crafted for her to be in if that makes sense yes it does and i i first let my i always let my players have whatever chance they they want to make the character they want and then to give them personal stakes in the story i make sure the conflict revolves around who they are where they came from and their their situations abound and around it's not just imagination of being what you what you wish to be living out that fantasy, right. but it can also be living up to an ideal that you otherwise cannot face. And learning a system is like learning another language. is it's it's a system of an aplinko board of problem solving, if you will. Learning a systems like learning music, like learning another language, and gives you the chance and opportunity to not only work live within a group, but communicate within that group, and that is where um, the social dynamics can can break down or build up. Is giving people that plinko board and that grid and that system to, if you if you want, recreate or mimic straight up imagination. Mm-hmm. That's fine. I find that when confiding and uh, constricting creative people to a box, they go every other direction. To, to create something even more fantastic. Oh, I can only play within this within this class. Okay, I'm still gonna find a way to cast what I want to. I'll find a way. Oh yeah. And they do. I mean, funny enough, like this was you actually took the words right out of my mouth about constricting people to a box, because I was gonna give up my big secret about when I create characters. If you want to know my big secret to when I create characters, I pick one flaw. Or one idea based around them. And I say, this person has to follow, like, let's say, like, um, I don't know, I made a cleric that worshipped Paylor, right? And the idea behind the cleric worshipping Paylor was that he would truly believed that he had to convert everybody that was uh, in you the area. You had pamphlets. Yeah, I had pamphlets to give out. <laughs> it was great. And thanks to you, I got my bard's name. Oh? You convinced the entire team that the island had ice strikes. Yeah, I convinced. So the I enti- was the artist formerly known as Ice Strike. Yeah, it was great. Very nice. So, I always Chelsea, play a bard or a rogue. It's horrible. <laughs> anything else that anything that you wanted to add to uh, to this discussion of um, I love how like you guys are going so deep into this, and how I got into D anD D is the most like idiotic way in the world. We found out that one of the um, teachers, we saw that he had a monster manual. And we're like, what mm-hmm. is this? So we look through it, and we're like, ooh, pretty pictures. We want to play this. So he let us play. He handed us a bunch Very of dice, nice. handed us the character sheets, and said, here, I'll walk you through it. 
And <laughs> that's how I wound up being an Amazonist beast rider with a buffalo named Snowball. Oh, gosh. Snowball! Oh, my buffalo could single-handedly take out the sorcerer and the rogue. And Good. then the buffalo couldn't go in the house, and I could see in the dark because I was an elf, and everyone in plate mail versus Russ Monster. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> the thing it's is, not like, fun. I guess. I guess this really does, you know, jump on or piggyback, uh, piggyback off the idea that, you know, if you people, I know people say that like to be a good, you know, DM, you gotta let your, you know, like if someone wants, if you have a castle built and someone wants to go to the shore, you know, you have to let them go wherever they want. But realistically, who says that the castle's not? on you know like on a deserted island that they're gonna go to right like you have to put some limits on your campaign to a certain extent mm-hmm. because this allows people to flesh out to be put in these trial or trying situations that they really can flourish in if that makes sense yeah absolutely and that also can come from a- as much discussion as you want to have ahead of time I'm especially careful to go over trigger warnings, especially if I'm if I'm running through a very uh, atmospherically intensive RPG. Mm-hmm. One of the last le- one of the last lectures I've developed uh, in the last year is called the theatrical side of GMing, and I use it to talk about uh, quick to uh, quick to concept, quick to game uh, horror style RPGs, and how controlling a space, controlling the the mood, the background music the minimal usage of props or note cards or even candles around the table can set the mood to tell the story that you want under the expectation that you have carefully gone over with the players, this is how you're going to get the most reward. You get the most reward by taking this seriously. Mm -hmm. and By by investing emotionally into the mood of the story. Yeah. Um, Actually, this is a perfect segue, right? You were I know we were talking earlier before the show about uh the Chroniclers of Darkness podcast that you were working on. I feel like the... Oh. Yeah, right. Uh, uh thank you thank you so much. Yeah, not a problem. Uh, it's a good segue. So <laughs> go ahead. With my pleasure. Within the last um gosh, this was around the time we were creating Dungeon Crawler, so this is about the last uh 5 6 years. Uh I got bit and embraced by friends who were big who were big fans of the 90s super super goth world setting of the world of darkness. Right. This is the system that gave us Vampire the Masquerade, which was a very simple um, uh, dot game. You rolled d10s based on a stat and based on a skill ability that you had, but you always played the monster. You always played the bad guy. Right. Werewolf the Apocalypse, you played werewolves. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mage, the, Mage the Awakening, Awakening etc., their most popular game by far, Vampire the Masquerade. Now the the original printers they've they've gone back and forth. They've exchanged hands. They've been bought out a few times. So now there's White Wolf Publishing and Onyx Path Publishing. Right. They did a new World of Darkness launch, and they're just about going into their they're almost halfway through the second edition of these games, and it made a world not so much Judeo Christian. It made it much more. Uh, Gnostic and much more approachable. Vampire the Masquerade became Vampire the Requiem. Right. Uh, Changeling the Dreaming became Changeling the Lost. I wanted to do 
podcasting and radio plays. This last year, I've also been under a pseudonym producing uh, audiobooks for audible.com, and I wanted to take all that time in the studio into something productive. So I gave myself a challenge and made a new product, which was a six episode miniseries within the world of the Chronicle Chronicles of Darkness, mm-hmm. set in a, a town that I knew, modern day Queens, New York, where I live. Yeah, perfect. I think a different. Yeah, I pick a different neighborhood before every story, go through it photographing, and I create the the characters that I want to voice and want to write. I've I've pulled in some guests to it. We've done some we've done some original music for it, original sound effects, and I'm the one doing all the writing and producing and the acting. I wish I could outsource any of it, but the control freak that I am, I wanted to give out the best product that I could. And I'm I'm very happy with the way that the four uh, stories turned out. We did a Hunter the Vigil story, mm-hmm. which is like uh, supernatural, but it's all through the perspective of uh, Mad Gunthry, uh, and out of place and uh, grit as nail Southern Bell. We did a Changeling the Lost story. Mm-hmm. I did a Vampire the Requiem story about a vampire coup of the city of New York, and we started off with a uh, Geist the Senator story, which is like a Persona meets Ghostbusters. Oh, that's, the RPG. That's actually kind of cool. It's actually really cool. <laughs> I am now I'm, I'm very happy with the way the story's turned out. You know, so you're putting me down a dangerous road here. Because if you know what I'm talking about, uh, we may end up talking about it for the rest of the podcast. If not, that's completely fine too, but it's something you should totally check out. I swear to God, if you're about to say what you're about to say. Have you ever read The Dresden Files? I I know the Dresden Files very well, and if you are a fan of the Dresden Files, the game for you is called Mage the Awakening. Okay. Sorry, Mage Mage the Ascension. Oh my god, can I have a bob? uh, Yeah, yeah. I can't have a bob! So, uh, it'll it'll work out just as fine. Let's take a break for two seconds just so that everybody knows what uh, what we're talking about. Um, so, the Dresden Files is a series of books, uh, really great. If you have Audible, go get him. Go get the audiobook versions. James Marsters reads them. It's great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that's I literally just finished up the last book two days ago. So when you were talking about all the different type of uh, like the world building stuff like that, it just got this stuck in my head about how I was mm-hmm. listening to this while I was at work. So and more importantly, for for people out there who wanted uh, Constantine to pick up and be the series that we knew it was supposed to be right. grab yourself the dresden files first because that's exactly how a mage game works out oh yeah um <laughs> oh, actually yeah. speaking of constantine i don't know if you know this but it is getting picked back up uh by netflix or amazon cw is picking it up as an animated series interesting then, animated is is a real big risk for companies nowadays well funny enough uh cw is making a ton of money through all the different superhero shows so i think what they're trying to do is they're trying to play the field with constantine see how the show does you know as animated shorts rather than full uh 30 minute uh series or 30 right. minute episodes i think they're doing 10 minute episodes and then if it gets popular enough they're thinking about bringing the show back the problem with the show is that it was extremely <laughs> expensive to make. Mm-hmm. Adventure Teen, come on, grab, come on, grab your friends, oh banish you to demonic lands. Yeah, uh, essentially yes. And being a huge DC head, like a huge DC fan, um, Constantine just rocked my world. 
I mean, we can do we can do DC or uh, vertical, which which is where um, the Hellblazer had the run that uh, oh the legendary run of darker nineties comics. Oh yeah, like if you guys ever get the chance, well, if you're older, in I would say sixteen at least, go read Hellblazer. Mm-hmm. I say it's Hellblazer, Sandman. Alan Moore's run of Swamp Thing um, and uh, Preacher, if you're ready for crazy monologues about the worst and best parts of America, those comics, so creative, so quintessential, so many genres and topics can be touched upon it. They are, uh, but be careful before you read these, be ready to have an open mind about how your perception of life is going to change afterwards. Correct. It's like reading Ishmael for the first time. When you finish Sandman, you you look around the journey, and thank goodness you learned that Mike Carey did a spinoff series uh, called Lucifer, so that there's slightly more of that. Right. But you feel it lost. was so critical, so critical in college to read all of the Sandman and see stories and characters that spanned throughout so many different times, so many different worlds, in a world where all series and all legends worked. Yeah. And well, they all fit together. That's kind of how uh that's kind of how the Dresden files got set up too. If I mean, we can't really talk too much without spoiling it, but like they uh they took a lot of mythology and different religious beliefs and melted it together almost perfectly. I'll tell you a story that I've I've always wanted to do. Maybe I'll eventually get around to writing yeah, it up ahead. as a as an as a novel. Um, there were many people throughout Greek myths who are screwed over because they messed with either Zeus or Hera. Mm-hmm. Many of them were cursed with immortality, but many of them were just flat out cursed to be harassed. And I always wondered, like, what would happen in modern day Greece? Um, these people are still cursed; they're still around. But Zeus is finally dead, but his curses are still there. Right. What are they, these people going to do to relieve themselves of this? So you've got Arachne, who's basically your spider woman. You've got, um, oh, what's his face? Who had to go to court with Apollo to get them exercised. He was constantly followed by the Furies for killing his mother right. because his mother had killed his father down that path. So have all these people with D-list aggravating levels of superpowers that they're not necessarily in control of that want to come together as an ineffective force to just get answers for why they're in such the place that they are. Right. Gosh. (laughs) And then, um, you know, I do have to say one thing, though. Uh, Being, so, like, I guess talking about comics, talking about animation, talking about all this other stuff. um, Growing up and reading a lot more about, like, stuff like, you know, like the actual stories of Hades, right? ruined the original Justice League cartoon for me so much. Interesting. Well, because uh, because they painted I, I, Hades as a villain, right? Mm-hmm. And then, like, doing all this stuff and looking all around, right, you kind of find out that the real, like, a-hole, the whole situation is just Zeus. Yes. <laughs> Hades is just the door, or is just, like, the master of his domain, and that's really it. Except for the whole thing with Yeah, Persephone. I mean... He- He's the world's nerd. He got relegated to the basement of creation to just kind of do his own thing. He's got it pretty much under control because have you ever heard someone leaking or getting out? Nope. (laughs) Not without him wanting it to. True. (laughs) And I mean, like, man, Zeus is a dick. 
Dude, he turned into a swan and raped a chick. No, he turned into a bull and raped somebody. I thought it was a swan. He did. He, well, he did he both. Did both. Yeah, no, he no, did no, both. no, 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 uh, no. He raped. Uh, he raped Lita as the swan, and she got pregnant with. She was already pregnant at the time, but then she got pregnant with the immortal side of the Gemini twins. Right. That's the Gemini twins' origin story, and the. Bull, when he raped the uh, King Menos's wife, she gave birth to the Minotaur, yep. which is interesting. So you do have Pericles essentially killing his own half-brother when they enter the maze. Oh, that is true. Shit. Greek mythology is all <laughs> sorts of screwed up. Yeah, well, Charles, Judeo-Christian mythology is not <laughs> any better at all. Everyone wants everyone wants to point to Sodom and Gomorrah for being the example of, oh no, that's how gay sex made God mad. Okay, so what happened afterwards? The heroes of the story, who were only the heroes of the story, Lot and his two daughters, they go off into the wilderness. Their both his daughters get him drunk so that they can get pregnant by him and keep the tribe of Israel alive. Yep. If Adam and Eve are not up there as a, uh, uh, as the forerunners and and uh, and front heads of incest, then you get it again with Lot. Then you get it again with Abel and uh, Cain and his wives. Then you get it again. It comes up again and again. I wrote the Greek Pantheon as a one-act play for a modern Jerry Springer audience, and it matched up perfectly. That's actually kind of <laughs> great. Oh, yeah, as I just had them as as the upper-class tra uh, trailer trash mom, uh, uh, abusive mom and dad. Well, yeah, actually, funny enough, that's 100% true. But if you think about... But to be fair about the whole Adam and Eve incest thing, it's not really incest. It's more self-cest. <laughs> if you think about it, because what is Eve but a female clone of Adam? So this brings yeah, up the yeah, eternal and... question. If you fuck your clone... Is it incest? Yeah. Or masturbation? I say it's a good evening if we bring enough wine. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> At, at least I'll get what I want and, and not have to explain it and not have to get eye rolls. No, there yeah, we that's go. That's what I do too. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that's, that's what you I won't like. Have, you won't have to explain it. You you want me to do? You want me to crinkle paper next to your ear but not touch you? Why? Uh, I don't want to. I don't have an hour to explain ASMR to you. Okay, wait, wait, I just wait, don't. Wait, wait. You want me to read the first little bit of, uh, you know, Oliver Twist with a British accent? Why? Don't don't ask questions. Just do it. With Stephen Fry. Yeah. Can we just watch <laughs> Can we just watch Intelligence Squared tonight, baby? <laughs> or if we can't even watch Intelligence Squared, can we just watch Hollywood Squares? Please? Mm-hmm. But it's okay, because at least you get you. In more than one way. <laughs> you get you and then you do you. <laughs> exactly. Oh my god, that's terrible now that I think more about it. Uh all right. Well, I'm actually going to call this, and we're going to take a break for three seconds to reset. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Roost, Squawk Talk, whatever you want to call it. Welcome back. So uh, if you guys tuned in in the middle of intermission, which I'd find really freaking strange, and I'd say good choice, you know, of coming back now, um, we have a very special guest on right now, and it's Uncle Yo. Greetings and beatings. Thanks for having me, guys. Dude, you it's been a pleasure. We could talk philosophy, everything else, mythology all day, but we have a couple questions for you that people have submitted. Not specifically for you, but whenever we have guests on. Chelsea, would you um, like to bring them up? All right. Be warned they will be very random. And right, potentially interesting. 
that's fine by me. Usually the only question people ever want to ask me is what it's like to work with a nostalgia critic if they're if they're that socially uh uh up to date. Oh. Oh okay. wow. <laughs> I guess we're gonna have to schedule you on for a second episode. To talk all about your work with a nostalgia critic. Because that's uh, what you want to talk about, right? Cough, cough. So yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> I could put my head in my hands. At the hip. I'm gonna I'm gonna put my head in my hands right now and be like, "So, Uncle Yo, what's it like working with the nostalgia critic?" Uh, no, you have to break eye contact and make sure that you're not directing the question really toward anything. Uh, also, uh, don't use my name. Have your phone up in front of your face and at least three uh pony memorabilia around you. Oh, okay. Hold on. Let me look into James. The just go into my room. No, 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 no. I, I'll, I'll look away and I'll be like, if someone here were to have worked with the nostalgia critic, what would it have been like? Right, something like that. Didactic, prismatic, <laughs> anti-disestablishmentarianism. Oh boy. Yeah, All I right. just started throwing adjectives to see if they catch on. They never do. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right, Chels, go ahead with some real questions. Our most popular question ever. How do you like your eggs cooked? Eggs Benedict. Ooh. Second time we've gotten that. Go well, ahead, Chels. Yeah. All right. How do you like your coffee? Black. Perfect. Weird. Don't call us weird. <laughs> you guys are weird. Look, if need be, I will throw in brown sugar into the mix itself. We uh, we tend to brew our own over here at home, and uh, if I can't get brown sugar at the restaurant itself, I'll bring packets with me. But for the most part, I like it at the bottom of the cup, just so it can all uh, seep together. If not, I can throw in a dash of either pumpkin pie spice, as in the dry brain, not the syrup itself, or right. uh, cinnamon. Ooh. That actually sounds great. I'd prefer to do that now. <laughs> Giving right. him ideas. You got to get the grounds themselves. Get them while they're hot. Definitely. All right. Here's a good one. What isn't a good thing to bring to show and tell? Something abstract. There you go. <laughs> All right. Here comes one of the stupid ones. How much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck had opposable thumbs? A woodchuck could chuck as much wood as it, as it would come. There you go. Yeah. As Bottom. much as... As much as it wanted, dude, it would have an axe. That's true. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, God, I never Go thought of it like Go chuck yourself, Lumberjack. I'm, t I'm in control now. Oh, Jesus. All right, Chels, go ahead. Jesus would love to have uh, carpentry assistance. Are you kidding me? Oh, yeah, definitely. He was, I don't know. I hear that he was a shitty carpenter, though. Or is that just a meme? <laughs> go ahead, Chels. Wow. All right. Um, She's pulling out questions as we speak. <laughs> jumping off the D&D &D trail. What is the stupidest story, like stupidest encounter you have during a campaign? Like the most stupid thing you've ever had to happen? Thing is, I, I love them all, even when they are ridiculous. I'm about to have uh, my party encounter the Goblin Inquisition, and it's going to be three goblins, and their names are going to be Lit, Fleek, and Dab, and they're going to be reoccurring NPCs. Oh. The thing oh. is, the, yeah, the, the thing is, the bad situations, especially in the in stuff either I run or I'm a part of, mm, it's it's just as fun as, as, uh, as, as successes 
for for the party. Yeah, it's like the time. So I'll tell a quick story and then we'll jump back to like our last couple questions. But there was a time that I was playing in a campaign and one of my campaign mates ripped off a door because he was a minotaur and decided to use it as his weapon because it was a mahogany door. And Mm -hmm. we were running from guards in the middle of the woods and he rolled a bluff check to put the door down in the middle of the woods to say it was a house. Mm-hmm. And then when the guards came up and knocked on it, he rolled a 20. So they asked him very politely if they'd seen these people. And we played <laughs> we played family slash house in the house. In the house of the tree. Mm-hmm. It was terrible. There I was also so. a... Go ahead. There was also? Oh, I said there was also a piss wizard in that campaign. <laughs> hallucinating yeah. mushrooms yeah other other than stuff from uh, uh, middle school or high school I'm pretty proud of uh, the stuff that I put forward in my fourth edition I did trick two players into stealing each other's virginity ooh whoa <laughs> what <laughs> it was it was all completely uh, wrong but it was all completely necessary I am the DM who speaks out of both sides of my mouth and gives them poorly worded things on example mm-hmm. I mean they knew that more in the half elf uh, ranger was being set up to be sacrificed by her mom and the specific thing that the demon um, supporting her told her was that she is that the blood that can only be shed once must be shed on on the stone their instinct oh. see it, whatever they had chosen was going to be the wrong one I had it set up that it was decapitation because how many times can you really shed blood from your neck and be fine with it yeah, they assumed true. that they assumed that meant virginity so she goes through the pirate ship Trying to, because she can't sleep with the captain, because the captain is one of the characters' father, and she will not have it. She will not allow this to happen, but it has to happen. She turns to the rest of the group. The monk says, I can't vote uh, vote a chastity. And the dragonborn cleric says, oh my god, there's scales. It's two inches thick. There's a hook at the end of it. And the monk just gets really interested. Wait, really? Can we, really? Can we see meaning, it? <laughs> meaning, yeah, let, let's, where, where's your proof? So all that's left is... Uh, people on the ship who you can't they can't because um, as part of being part of uh, Talvis's crew you have to give up your manhood so they're all eunuchs you get it back at the end though how they had oh it's it's magic magic it just pops, it just pops okay, right back okay, on okay 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 yeah if you've ever screwed in a light bulb oh gotcha yeah. <laughs> so it, it was up to, it was up to the it was up to the fighter and the it, it, it was up to the the fighter and the half elf and these were pcs played by roommates who despised one another so their <laughs> argument was fantastic i refuse to do it i don't see you that way you don't think i'm pretty no i see you as like a brother to heart you don't, you don't think i'm a girl no i see no i see you like a, a battle companion oh my gosh that's great Okay, so wow. Oh my god. So we are running short on time, Chels. Pick two last questions. Okay, loaded question. What Pokemon generation is the best? I'm a Gen 1er because that was where we set up everything from the get-go and that was where all of my most um repeated and and most loved connections uh come up to. For for me, for me it's Gen 1. And anyone else can have the one that they started on, the one that they put the most heart into. Yep. I think that's a great answer for now, it. Now, I can also give the second best loaded question. Go for it. Who is the best waifu? The recycling center. All waifu are garbage. The compost. Ah! 
You know, honestly, I have I've never understood that or invested anything in. The closest I had was back in the day was uh uh Lavi from um I almost said Big, Big Hero Six, uh like an idiot. Oh, what was that series with uh I with have, uh, Klaus Heitman on uh not not Cloud Nine uh Sky Exile Exile mm-hmm. uh Chelsea any I I'm I'm derping so hard right now. My lord. I have no clue. I'm sorry, Uncle Yo. Yeah, not a problem. Um, if 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 anyone can can remember it, uh, help me. Uh, it, Send him it was a message on Twitter. Yeah, it was Uncle Yo. Oh, goodness, Lovey from um, Soft Exile, Sweet Exile, something mm-hmm. Exile. Uh, Johnny Young Bosch ended up doing some of the notes for it. It, it, it must kick. Uh, it'll. Come He's to awesome, the... by the way. Yeah, sweet man. Um. All right, last thing, and then we'll wrap it up. So we talked a lot about D&D. We talked a lot about just, like, last exile, campaigns. Last Exile. Last Got Exile? It. Yeah. Perfect. So if I have an anime recommendation for you, which I mm-hmm. do, since we talk so much about uh, RPGs, go watch Konosuba. This is a very this is a first time for me being on a podcast and not knowing the anime recommendation that someone makes. Let's look this bad boy up. Um Kanosuba's like what if uh, essentially the premise is a guy dies um when he he died at the wrong time or whatever, so they give him an option to go anywhere or to go into another world to kill the demon king because they need more soldiers there in that other world. And he gets to bring anything that he wants with him. Any one thing. And it's all about, like, just, like, an RPG-type setting. Like, mm-hmm. his party is, like, a priest, a crusader, a mage, and himself, like, a thief, I believe. Oh, I, I remember that. I remember when it was called Rune Soldier. <laughs> um, This is a great comedy, though. You have to see it. <laughs> You know, yeah, I remember was... way back before Sword Art Online and all of this, it was called Dot Hex Sai. Oh my god. Uh, uh, <laughs> Blizzard, well, be, Blizzard be thy tongue. Uh, it's called Lodos War. Uh, yeah, that is true. Okay. Dot Hex Sign was a very long, dragged up build up to one of the greatest anticlimaxes in the history. Like that, that series kept me away from the entire. Embracing the entire genre and concept alone of their kids trapped in a tape, their kids trapped in a game. Nope, saw it before, hated it, hate you. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you'll like Kanasuba because like the characters are very likable. Like the mage, all she knows is explosion magic, and she can only use it once per day. Mm-hmm. That's called Slayers. I remember that. Yep. Uh, <laughs> the Crusader is a pervert who loves being tied up and. Loves the idea of what monsters will do to her and taking hits for the team. Okay. Uh, the priest is when the guy gets the choice of what to bring into the other world with him, he chooses the goddess that's standing in front of him. Yeah. So I she's mean, the priest. Who wouldn't? Yeah. <laughs> and the main character is the thief that, uh, thinks that he's going to be super lucky, super good at everything, and he's just kind of mediocre. Irresistible, um, no, irresponsible Captain Tyler. That is, Un- that's what eh. you're looking for. <laughs> eh, he's not so much in that type of zone, though. He's very much like, he, he's not a neat, but he's kind of close. 
<laughs> I don't know. He's he's a lot better than uh, the main character ReZero, though. I will have to say that. Very cool. I like walking away with a recommendation. I'd like yeah. you guys to keep your ears and eyes out for season two of Eccentric Family once that comes out. I got to walk through the lovely city of of Kyoto, and it was step. It was scene by scene. These wonderful um, recreations. And uh, to put it to you very simply, based on some lovely visual novels, it's about a modern, uh, shape-shifting fantasy Tanuki family living in modern-day Kyoto and uh, just trying to fill in the gap left by their legendary father's passing. That's actually awesome. That I'm definitely going to awesome. have to check that out. Yep, on Crunchyroll right now. And next season, season two finally premieres. I loved it. The animation is on par with the Studio Ghibli film, has a lot of heart to it and a lot of careful... Uh, careful character stories because it's a story about humanity from the perspective of the animals it persecutes. You made I, that sound so happy and the premise I, is yes. terrifying. Um, all right, sweet. I'll definitely have to check it out. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, I think that's I think it we're for good. today, right, Chels? He, he went way too fast through that trivia. That's all right. <laughs> I... Um, I, no, I, I really enjoyed this, guys. I, I like uh, I like being a, an official rooster. I, I, I like to kind of be the, the cock of the walk at this point. Hey, you know what? You can, uh, for the roost, Uncle Yo, you could be our Uncle Yo the rooster. <laughs> I'm you're the cock. rooster again? Hey, look, it's you're the cock. It's your final year on the circuit, so it's you're the cock. Chanticleer, bitches. Damn. I'm a Don Bluth nightmare. <laughs> Chels hasn't seen. I'm done with all these references. All right, all right. So, um, last little bit before we go, uh, I have an admission to make to you, Uncle Yo, and I ask for your forgiveness. As a kid, I always loved Digimon more than Pokemon. Me too. Sweet, cool. So I don't need forgiveness because it was badass. Yeah, no, the it actually was, especially the, the the third season. Like Digimon, yeah. Digimon season one through three gives you so much more to bite into um, than Pokemon. There is much more character development and drama, and that is truly what I go for. Yeah, like there, it actually had a story. <laughs> like it was not, it was like you know serialized, which is what I super enjoyed. All right, um, so everybody, thank you for listening. Uh, if you want to check out Uncle Yo stuff, go check him out on Twitter at Uncle Yo. Uncle Yo, please plug in your YouTube URL if you got it for us. Be my guest. You can check us out at youtube.com slash Uncle Yo. Do a search for me on the first damn thing that shows up. Or for a more direct conversation with me, you can either follow me at Twitter at Uncle Yo or Facebook.com slash Uncle Yo. Uh, I've, you know, this is my last year in the con circuit. I've got about uh, six different states and maybe 12 shows left to go. And just so you know, it's been a blast the entire run. And now that it, it now that it counts as my last year, no holds bars. I can talk about anything I want now. List off those cons fast. <laughs> list off, list off those cons up and coming. This is the last time that you can see me at such cons as Genericon up in Troy, New York. This will be my first, and I guess last year, coming out to No Brand Con in Wisconsin. I'll also see you guys for uh, Anime Next. We are in talks for this uh Sailor Moon Crystal Millennium Ball Zenkaicon in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Anime Next, uh, most likely in uh, in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Kineticon up in Hartford, Connecticut. I have. Hey, hey we'll see I you have, then. I have sent stuff to Otakon. We'll see 
if Otakon picks up. And if not, I'll see you guys at either AwesomeCon or ending the year at DerpyCon and Anime and Anime NYC. Well then, nice. hey, uh, Uncle Yo, if you ever come out of retirement after this year and we hit the con scene a little bit hard, maybe you'll have to be our special guest for when we do a Roost Live. That would be my pleasure. And uh, if not, the albums are still up there, available via TuneCore. Uh, all my albums are available on Spotify, iTunes, and Amazon. Definitely. Thank you so much, Uncle Yo. And thank, thank you. you guys so much for listening. We're going to have to have you back to talk a little bit more philosophy, uh, mythology, D&D, all that other fun stuff. So thank you guys for listening, and have a good one. See you guys.